Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses God's name. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or your maidservant, nor animals nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day as a Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land and the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor your neighbor's wife, nor their servants, nor their animals, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, O Lord, for your servants want to clearly hear who you would have us be how you would have us live, so that we would go forth from this hour of worship, this time of praise, not just as hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So sports writer Joseph Walker tells a story of a basketball game that happened in Milwaukee in 2009. It appears that two rival high schools were to meet on a Saturday evening for their continued annual rivalry game. It was a friendly rivalry, but still, like all rivalries, everyone wanted to win. The captains of both teams were celebrated players and were known far and wide in that region of Wisconsin and Illinois right there on the border, Darius and John Tell. And so they were excited about the game, and then just on the day of the game, John Tell's mother lost her five-year battle with cancer. 
because everyone had walked this journey with John Tell, his coach said, maybe we should just cancel the game, just forfeit, postpone it. And John Tell said, no, coach, this game is too important. We've got to play. I won't be there. So with heavy hearts, his teammates took the court. And lo and behold, halfway through the first half, John Tell enters the gymnasium. He walks over to the bench and the sort of this instant timeout is called and the players hug their brother. And the coach says, John Tell, you want to sit with us and be with your family? He goes, no coach, I need to play. Now there's a little wrinkle in the, in the code at the time, in the rules, that since Chantel was not expected to play that night, he was not on the roster. So if they let him dress and they let him play, they would have to take a technical foul and shoot two shots. The coach pleaded with the refs. The other coach pleaded with the refs, said, we really don't need this. And the refs said, but the rules are the rules. We're going to have, if he wants to play, we're fine with it, but we're going to have to charge you with a technical foul. The other team is going to have to get their two free shots. Now, what you don't know is that at this point in time, Darius's team was down. They were down, and so these two free shots were going to help. And Darius looked at his coach and says, Coach, I want the ball. And what you don't know is Darius is a sniper when it comes to the foul line. I mean, he doesn't miss. He's got the highest free throw percentage in all of Wisconsin. And so these are just guaranteed two points. And then the game can go on. Darius stands at the line, takes that deep breath, bounces the ball, sets the shot, and lo and behold, it only goes four feet. The stadium groans. Darius bounces the ball, takes a deep breath, looks at John Tell's bench, and the next shot only goes two feet. At that moment, everyone realizes what's happening. The sniper is tanking the shots. Because it was more important for John Tell to play than it was about the points. So after the game, as it turns out, Darius's team does, in fact, continue losing the game, and they lose. Because John Tell's team is just flooded with the emotion around their teammate, and they come alive like never before, outscoring Darius's team 2-1 to one for the rest of the game. But at the end of the game, the sportscasters, the news writers, they all asked Darius why he did what he did. These are his words. He said, I did it for the guy who lost his mom. It was the right thing to do. See, years later, no one's going to remember who won or who lost that game. No one's going to remember the score but what they're going to remember is what they saw that night in the gym. They saw a young man do the right thing for someone else who was hurting. They saw a man do the right thing, answering to a higher power than the rules of a basketball game, than the win-loss column of life. 
See, I think each of us, no matter what generation we find ourselves living in, at some point in our lives, we've had this maturity of spirit asking ourselves this question, how should I live in today's world? And maybe even because of the complexity of today's world, how life seems to go so much faster and on and on and on, we find ourselves asking that maybe more than just once, but at several junctures along the way. What we're really asking, though, when we ask that question is not how should I live, but really, do my choices matter? Do my choices matter? My friends, when we come to a fork in the road, we've got to take it for sure. And we ask ourselves, do I take the road less traveled or the one most commonly traveled? That's not what matters. What really matters is do we take the one that has the most impact on the world around us? See, the yearning in our heart is for the wisdom of God, for the one that shows us that our choices do matter. And so when we ask ourselves these questions, how should I live in today's world? It's really a faithful and a faith-filled question. And God has an answer to that for us. And a matter of fact, today's text gives some guidance on those answers that we're seeking. Now, many of us are familiar with this. We know these are the Ten Commandments. I mean, we see them on posters. We see them on the courthouse steps. We might even see them in the halls of justice or in our schools, depending on where we go. We have seen these around, but do we remember the story is the question. Remember, the Hebrew people, they have been enslaved in Egypt And God speaks through Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and they escape Egypt through the Red Sea and into the wilderness where God leads them by a column of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. God is showing them the way, but they wander in the wilderness, and they are trying to seek clarity to who they are and how they should be and how they should live in this new land that they are coming to. Moses goes up onto the mountaintop, and it's there that he is reminded where God, that, that time when God said, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so God speaks to Moses. And when he speaks, he gives these Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. Now what's great about these is these Ten Commandments, these come from God. These are not drawn up by some sort of a human committee. I mean, you know what happens when committee work starts? We start with a great concept sometimes. I mean, look what happens in Congress. I mean, Congress decides they're going to write a highway bill. And we think about a highway bill, we think that's bridges and paving streets and roads, maybe even finally putting the right markers down the middle so you know where the lanes are. And somewhere along the line, we put it in committee and we add to it and we add to it. And the next thing you know, there's stuff in there about libraries and marine fisheries. Now, what do these have to do with a highway? Absolutely nothing. And you know that and I know that. So what God says is, God says, let me tell you, I'm your God and here's how I want you to live. And he gives these 10 commandments. Now, what's great is they sort of fall into two categories. I mean, the first four of them really are about our relationship with God. I mean, that there will be no other gods before God, there will be no idols to worship, that we're not going to take the Lord's name in vain, and that we should not, we will not, we must rest, not work on the Sabbath. We will keep the Sabbath. 
And then the others are about our relationships with each other. Honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. In other words, don't be envious of what your neighbor has. But in reality, these two different sections are really intertwined. They're interrelated because these two bodies of commandments really are about our relationship, not only with each other, but our relationship with God. It's impossible to violate one and not hurt the other. I mean, think about that with me. If we steal, we steal from someone that we care about or some other human being, a brother or a sister, a child of God. We take from them, but we also take from God. See, in adversely affecting God, when we break these commandments, when we go against God's desires for us, God's commandments for us, we break the heart of God. So this interconnectedness, we roll forward through the centuries from the time when Moses was on the mountain to where Jesus was there in the square and the Pharisees said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what he says, he says, love your God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all 10 of these things, hang on these two points. Love your God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. But something else that I love about these Ten Commandments is that they are absolute. They are universal. They are eternal. I mean, look at the language and this absoluteness of it. Think about it for a minute. Look at the language. It starts out with a declarative. I mean, the passage we read today, God says, I am the Lord your God. This is not up for debate. I love that. He just comes out and says, I'm your Lord, I'm your God. What he doesn't say in parentheses, but what is implied is, you're my people. But then there is the imperative. God doesn't equivocate. God doesn't say, hey, so it would be really great if you would just worship me. He doesn't say, it would be really good if you wouldn't steal from each other. There's no passivity to this. No, God is very imperative. You shall not. He says that to us. You shall not. You shall keep the Sabbath. You shall not worship other gods. You shall not have idols. You shall not steal. You shall honor your parents. It is very imperative how God is speaking to us. And so what that does is it begins to call for us the question about how we live our lives. We understand that these imperatives exist. Do we approach our relationships with God, our relationships with each other, with that same intentionality, with that same seriousness? I mean, think about the absoluteness. Do we let other things get in the way of our worship of God? Do we sometimes worship other things of this world and not just God? See, that's that absolute. That's, what it, that's the question that gets in front of us. Do we sometimes, we know that we're not supposed to tell false testimony, but do we sometimes enjoy gossip a little too much? See, if we really read the absoluteness of this, really thought about the intertwinings of these relationships between God and all created humanity, then we would begin to say, you know what? 
I'm not going to do it. That's what God calls me to. God calls me when I stand at the foul line of life to make the right decisions based on the relationship that God has with us and that God expects of us with each other. But then I think about the other part about that's the absolutist, but I think about the universality of it. I mean, God is speaking to the people of Israel. But because we have inherited this story, God is speaking directly to us. God says, I am your God. And I think about the issues that our world faces, and I sort of take this macro effect. I mean, imagine with me, if you've ever seen a fire tower in the wilderness, in the woods, looking over a forest, climb to the top of it, and you can see all the forest. Think about all the world. We think about this, I am your God. If we want to really look at this from the fire tower point of view, the top step, we begin to realize that we are all children of God. But if we want to try to fool ourselves and think that maybe not all of this applies, we come down a rung or two and we realize that we are all children of the book. I mean, Muslims, Jews, and Christians all have the book of Exodus in our sacred texts. So these rules apply to all of us. These, these guides apply to us. But then we're going to come down a few more steps and we see ourselves as Christians. But it applies to all of us, whether we're Catholics or Orthodox or Protestants. We can come down a few more and we can just look at the Protestant church, Baptists, Methodists, Moravians, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, the whole nine yards. We can come down even further and we can just look at Methodists. These apply to us. God is speaking directly to us. And then we can come even further down to just the congregation, the people called centenary, whether gathered in the church or gathered around thanks to the internet. These words apply to us. They're about our relationship with God and our relationship with all of humanity through all the rungs of the ladder. So the universality of this begins, these, these commandments begins to speak to how we should look at life, how we should speak, how we should act in relationship with each other and with a God who loves us. And then there is the eternal nature of these words, the lasting nature of them that they've been dating all the way back to the time of the Exodus. I mean, in economic modeling, one of the things that you do to try to figure out the effects of different parts of the economy is, you, is they, that we do this thing called hold all things constant. And you attest the effect of various variables. We know in our life, God is constant. God is never changing. Kate said that. Brett said that. God is never changing. God is always present. The commandments are always present. They have, not, they have not changed since they came from the mountaintop, since God wrote them on the tablets. The variable in the equation, the variable in the test is us. And if we want the results that God thinks, if we want to think that our choices matter, then we've got to get back in touch with the measuring stick that God laid out on that mountaintop on those two tablets. We've got to rise each day and ask ourselves, am I living the way God has called me to? Am I living where I think about my relationship with God and my relationship with my neighbor in the decisions that I make? See, my friends, we may never step foot to the foul line 
in a game when a member of the other team is hurt and we have to decide whether we're going to shoot for the points or we're going to shoot for love. But through twists and crossroads, we're going to find ourselves at places where our decisions matter each and every day. We've got to remember that God is our God and that God speaks to us in a framework that will help us make society better. Help us make it so that it's not about winning and losing for our team, but it's about the person who is hurting on the sidelines who needs to know the love of God for the sake of the kingdom. And so I invite you to do this with me this week. I invite you not to turn from this passage, not to say, okay, well, that was what we talked about Sunday. I can't wait to see what next week has in store. But I invite you to hold these words in front of you all week long and read them. And read them and ask yourself what that universality, what that absoluteness, what that eternal nature of these words means for you and for your life. And maybe, just maybe, as we think about that and that question, does my life matter? Do the decisions that I make matter? Do the choices that I make matter? The answer is yes, they do. And then we're going to make the decisions based on these and the concept of God's love behind it so that we can make a difference in the world and heal the hurting hearts of those on the sidelines, those that need to know that someone cares because God has sent us to be in ministry to them by our very words, our very actions, and our deeds. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.